Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant, Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today, my co-host, directly from Brooklyn, second grade detective, Phil Grimaldi, straight out of Brooklyn. How's it going, Phil? I am very excited tonight because I got a fellow Brooklynite here with me tonight. Yes, and you didn't, you didn't even mention she's a fellow Italian, too. Right? Well, I, I think the name speaks for itself. So I, I think it I'll does, too. leave it at that. We're very pleased uh, to have with us tonight uh, Judge Patricia Domango from the television show Hot Bench, which runs Monday to Friday. It's a syndicated show, and she's getting more and more famous. You know, people are getting famous when they start writing cookbooks. You know, you know that's... Uh, <laughs> So, so and, and and that's on the menu now. I, I don't want to use a cliche, but yeah, it's on the recipe and it's on the she's menu. Italian. She's Italian. you think she was going to? Of course, she's, she, of course, she's got a million recipes from her grandmother. Of course, that's you know, it. it's unbelievable. So anyway, folks, if you are not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're growing our audience and. Hey, how could we not when we have unbelievable guests like this? Uh, so let's get back to the case we're going to be discussing tonight, the Gabby uh, Petito case. And it seems like every day there's something new happening in this case. And on uh, today, the family had a press conference, and they spoke about a lot of things. You see, we'll, we'll play a little bit of the press conference later on. Sunday, there was a memorial save service for uh, Gabby out on Long Island. And it was attended by thousands of people. The FBI still hasn't released the body. So they actually uh, had the service without, of course, Gabby coming home to a home of Blue Point, Long Island, so the family could have closure. There's still all these folks on TV, uh, Dog, the bounty hunter, uh, John Walsh. They're all constantly getting tips on where um, uh, Brian Laundry is. Do we know if these tips are accurate? We're not sure, but right now they are they are searching a different area of Florida, a park in Florida, based on some information that they think is uh, is good information. Phil, you want to comment on that? Sure. First, I want to say welcome to Judge Patricia Domango. She's a good friend of law enforcement, and obviously she's a good friend of the show. Welcome, Judge. And, I am uh, yeah. thrilled to be here, so thank you. Thank you for inviting me. The two of you are terrific. You're quite the team, I have to say. Oh, thank, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Judge. And I won't even mention the um, the technical disaster we almost had before the show started. We but actually, I, I just, we but it, it all it all worked it. out. It all. I was almost ready to have my first glass of wine before the show started. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. I, I was when I got up. It was probably to get the glass, but yeah. we actually used uh, the tech the tech support from California to help me figure this all out. <laughs> Bill, as Bill said earlier, uh, Judge Domango's on that show, Hot Bench, which is on uh, mornings during the week. And she had to reach out to her tech people to get her uh, linked up with us tonight. And uh, getting back to the case, to the Gabby Petito case. Yeah. Uh, Bill, you brought up the point about Dog the Bounty Hunter. He was on the news earlier today. Uh, obviously, there was the press conference with the family. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Dog the Bounty Hunter, the re reason I want to get to this right in the beginning uh, he claims to have some leads that show that the family on that uh, on that first couple of days around the 11th, I believe it was, they went, uh, they took the camper and they went uh, on a camping trip for three days, uh, September 11th, that is, um, right around the time that Gabby was reported missing. And he has information that in uh, they went to Fort DeSoto Park, which is a couple hours north of uh, where they live in Northport. Um, and he has information that Three of them went into the uh, reserve, the, the area, the park, and only two of them came home. So his contention is, is that the family has now given Brian at least a two or three day lead before they reported him missing. He could be anywhere in that area. And when the FBI was asked for comment about whether or not there is an actual search going on in that area, they didn't deny or confirm whether or not there was. That says to me that there probably could be. And then I saw later news reports that 
Uh, there is an actual search going on in that area. There was some conjecture from different people or the talking heads on the news that it's a very short distance to take a boat from that area and go into Mexico. And then there was supposedly some sightings of him in Mexico. I saw an image on the, on the internet, but he has such a general look. I don't think that it was uh, accurate. Um, so right now th the real focus is on finding Brian bringing him to justice. I think there's a uh, protest going outside his family's home. The pressure isn't going to let up. There's a little message to the family I'd like to give right at this point. You know, you got to make a decision. Uh, are you going to, you know, have your son on the run and and maybe get killed out there in these, if he's out in these woods and it's, uh, he's not a survivalist. So he may, he may succumb to that or, you know, bring him to justice uh, he'll get a fair trial. You have an attorney for him. The justice system works. If he's innocent, he'll be found innocent. If he's guilty, he'll be found guilty. Judge Domingo, we had spoken off the air, and you have a lot of uh, opinions, a lot of knowledge about the law in this. And let's first go to the federal arrest warrant that was issued for uh, Brian Laundry. You want to speak upon that? The federal arrest warrant was issued after the federal grand jury uh, handed down an indictment. And based on that, they can obviously arrest him for what the, the crime that they're charging is use of an unauthorized access device. Now, there isn't really an exact crime that matches that in the, on the state level, but on the federal level, um, it really is a much broader concept. So whereas you might need a credit card or have to show a credit card for unlawful use of a credit card on the state level, uh, for the federal crime to have occurred, all you need to do is even have a credit card number. So you could just use the number, and it's a much more broad statute. It, uh, it has to do with interstate commerce or foreign commerce. So that gives them jurisdiction over this type of offense. They issue the warrant. Now they can go out, and they can arrest him on that for that particular offense. If counsel attaches because there's now uh, some sort of accusatory instrument, then it only attaches for that case and not necessarily for the homicide. So that's that's probably another good strategic reason. Plus, you know, they don't want to precipitously arrest him for something without sufficient probable cause because it triggers other things, other rights, other 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 uh, rights that inure to the benefit of a defendant. And why do that precipitously before you've accumulated the evidence that you might need to move forward? You know, so, Judge, I had, I had spoken to you uh, off the air about and we th that th that term uh, drives New York City homicide detectives crazy. The term "person of interest," and you explained it to me from a judge's point of view, or from maybe from a lawyer's point of view. And I still thought that minute one, this guy was a suspect and not a person of interest. You want to explain to me why the feds, the FBI, and the local police may have been referring to him as a person of interest and not as a suspect? Well, first of all, let's be clear. The last person to see somebody who's now dead has to be a person a, sus a person of interest. So to think that even as a witness, you know, you could be a witness and be a person of interest. You don't have to be the suspect or the actual accused or ultimately the defendant in a situation where they're labeling you from the get-go person of interest. In a situation like this, where the evidence seems to be pointing in the direction of, uh, of laundry, well, yeah, person of interest might turn into uh, a suspect. But when you give, you know, when you have somebody on the run, for instance, like this, like the like uh, laundry, you, why scare him away? Why scare him? Why frighten him and say, you're a suspect, turn, come in here? You're a person of interest. How could you think you're not? You're the last person to have seen her alive. So... You have information. We know you have information. You're a possible witness. Come forward so we could talk to you and straighten this out. So, you know, having said that, let's get back to the conduct of the parents. Now he's... Uh, I just want I don't mean to interrupt you. I want to ask the judge a question about the, the strategic move to, to charge him with the credit card stuff, even though it was only... Um, we think it was only the number, but uh, Bill and I were of the opinion initially when we heard that fantastic, let's get him, charge him on, a, on uh, I was saying even unauthorized use of the vehicle since she was now dead and he was in possession of the vehicle. And then I mentioned if he used her credit cards or anything like that. And we had differing opinions, whether it be- I pause, Can I pause you one second on sure. that? Sure, absolutely. What if, what if she wasn't dead at the moment? What if she would have said- 
because he's been driving her car all along. Right. So what if she she said to him, I don't want to go with you to town. I'm not coming in. You want to go take my car. Technically, he's using the car. I mean, at the moment, perhaps at that time, he doesn't actually know she's dead. Right. Maybe. So if the unauthorized use of a vehicle is it's much more. I think it's more difficult than the credit card use because the credit card use, you know, she's she's the owner of the credit card. They have agreed with her to pay the credit card, not him. If it's your car, you could give it to somebody, lend it to someone. It's a little bit more murky, I would say. Okay. The reason I was saying the unauthorized use was after her body was found, they pretty much had determined her death was around the 27th or the 28th of August. He was back in Florida on the 1st. He used the card between the 30th and the 1st. 30th of August and the 1st of September. So either one of those two. I just want to see your opinion because we had comments in our, our comment section and in the chat, people saying, well, you can't charge the credit card. She could have gave it to him. But I think there was a, a presumed, once she's dead, it's presumed that she's not able to give consent to use the card or the car. Uh, what's your opinion on that, Judge? I think the credit card is much clearer. When you're dead, your, your debt, your agreement with the credit card company, it ends. There's, you know, that's it. Then they're not giving me a credit card so that I could, that credit card can be used by anybody else. Right. I can give you permission because while I'm alive, I'm ultimately responsible on that. But once she's dead, that the, that terminates, I think, the, the, any permission or authority on the credit card. The card, I still see a little bit different with the unauthorized use of a vehicle. Okay. If you assume, if, you know, we know she's dead now. We knew she was, we found out she was dead uh, after after she died, after September 1st, correct? Right. Yeah, she was found, She was found. I think, around the 15th. So what, what I was saying is we knew. So what if when he came home, he said, you know what? He just, she said, take my car and come home. We, we don't have enough right. information for that. Okay. We really don't. Okay. And there's a difference. I mean, people's parents pass and they still use the car. You know, the point, the, point, for things. the point I was trying to make was as a homicide investigator, the way that this case was going, she's a missing person. He shows up home. The family doesn't have any contact with her family. They try numerous times. They eventually report her missing. So we know that he's obviously you, you described it in a, a perfect explanation of person of interest and suspect. Uh, he's the first person we're going to talk to. So now he goes on the run. They're claiming he's missing all of that. I, I felt and Bill felt that it was a good strategic move to charge him so that way we could get him into custody and but, then but, continue but, building the murder case. But this is a federal case. This is a federal case. Unauthorized use of a vehicle is a state misdemeanor. Right. There okay. probably isn't a concomitant federal unauthorized use of a vehicle. There is, however, they're not charging him with unlawful use of a credit card. They're charging him with use of an unauthorized access device, which has different elements than the state crime for using a credit card. Like if you go in, if you have a credit card that you know is expired or canceled and you take it out to pay your bill, you don't even have to pay the bill in the state. You just have to take out the card to attempt to use it. That's the misdemeanor. That's the crime of unauthorized use of a credit card. In the federal court, the charge that they're alleging is it has to do basically with interstate commerce. It has to do with the fact that uh, he used this card. You know, and that could be something as simple as I want to borrow money on a card so the bank that I go to calls the, uh, the the credit card company in another state, and there you have interstate commerce, and it becomes a federal a federal offense. See, because what I wanted to start off talking about, too, is we can't mix up. We keep mixing the federal stuff with the state stuff. The feds have jurisdiction. They're not going to just say to the state police, hey, you, you want to write a complaint up uh, or get in a warrant for unauthorized use of a vehicle? I really don't, I don't really see that happening. I don't really see that we, that that's worth pursuing, but they have the jurisdiction. They've taken it on. They're going to bring them in. They have different rules. Judge, you know, the, uh, what I started to talk about before Philly so rudely interrupted me. I'm just kidding. Was, was, <laughs> was the, the parents. I, my feelings are that they absolutely have aided it and abetted him. However, when they did that, the warrant was not yet issued, so there could be no charge. If they continued to have contact with him, continued to send him money, continued to help him uh, stay on the run, then I believe that's a different charge. Wouldn't that be a federal offense for aiding and abetting a fugitive? First of all, I think they kind of set this up very well because 
they said on the 14th of September, if I'm not mistaken about the timeline, on the 14th of September, he said he was going to go hiking, correct? Yes. And from that point on, they claimed to have no contact with him. So what they've done is they basically distanced themselves from any possibility that they are doing anything to interfere with finding him or interfering with the, the uh, government, uh, any kind of government action, because they're saying, well, he was here, he left for a run, we had no reason to think he wouldn't come back, and now he's not back. Now, that might change a little bit with this other information that you've brought up about the uh, people seeing him going into the park, two people and coming out with, as one, that would make, but we don't know who those people are. We don't know who went in, you know, just because you're in a car doesn't mean that you're the people we expect to be in that car or that vehicle. There's so, you know what I'm troubled with? There's just so much unknown about this. There are so many, like her parents, his parents, him, her, the people out in different different states. It's very, very difficult to get real information, it seems. Even you know, Judge, that, that is the frustration of like following and actually doing these YouTube videos was because... Phil and I are used to having all the intimate knowledge from the case folder and knowing every single thing about the case. But here there's so many internet rumors and what is fact and what is fiction and what is something that another content creator on YouTube threw up there as fact that in, is in fact. In fact, Duty Ron, who uh, is a, a great friend of ours, a great podcaster, he erroneously put that her ashes were at the memorial service on Sunday. And uh, then he later learned that the FBI has not yet yet released the body, so they did have the urn there, but it was empty. And they, the family, I, the family even said, "We want to welcome her home." You know, as soon as they release the body. That's why it's so difficult. Like, and I, I, sim, you know, similar to both of you, I don't like taking a position or making a decision unless I'm comfortable with the facts upon which that decision's being made. And honestly. You know, the, the main basic fact that's missing here is we've had this method of death, homicide, but we don't know what the cause of death was. And, and to me, how do you decide that the method was homicide when you don't have the cause? Um, so somebody knows the cause of death, and for what, for any number of good reasons, they are not releasing that information. Um, I'm sure it's because they are trying to really keep things close to the vest. They're trying to protect the case and the people involved on some level and also not frighten people away. And I think that, uh, Bill, you and I kind of talked about the different degrees, the different types of homicides that there are. And we, you can't even figure that out without knowing the cause of, you know, the story behind it and, and how the death was, was caused. Exactly, you, Judge. And I mean, the, the, the definition, and we've gone over this on another show, of homicide is simply death caused by another. And it doesn't necessarily have to be criminal. So oh, right. Well, how do you mean it doesn't have to be criminal? Well, if, if a police officer puts his knee in a perpetrator's back and this guy's chest cannot expand and he dies from asphyxiation, they could rule that a homicide, yet there was no intent to commit okay, a murder so. and no crime. So that's so now, an accidental. Now, okay, so let's 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 look at that because that's not that may not necessarily be correct. So homicide is the broad category. Everybody thinks of homicide, you think murder, murder in the second degree. You think with intent to kill, you kill. With the intent to cause the death of another person or a third person, you cause that person's death. That's a serious murder. The mens rea, the mental state in that offense is intentional. You intend to kill and you do. But there are much lesser degrees of homicide. There is, we could start with the lowest one, criminally negligent homicide. And that might be kind of what you're referring to with the officer putting his knee in someone's back and perhaps not, not being um, aware of the, of, the, of the risk that he was right. taking. There's, there's no intent there. There's so no that's intent. right. But there is criminal, it could be with criminal negligence. Now that criminal negligence, that's an e-felony. You could get probation for that. You could get, you can't get more than one and a third to four years in jail, and you could get probation. You could get probation for stealing a car. So you kind of have to look at it that way. The second, the second level of homicide might be manslaughter in the second degree, which is recklessly causing the death. You perceive a risk, and yet you disregard that risk. You push somebody around, and you're near a huge, a, 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 a deep, you know, drop. And you're pushing them and pushing them, and then you go like this, and they fall. Well, that's a risk you perceive that if you push them over, 
they could die. That's a reckless. There's also with intent to cause serious physical injury, you cause the death of someone. So there are different types, there are different degrees of homicide, each of them having different, different ranges of jail sentences, anywhere from probation to murder in the second degree and a felony having life. So without a story, without knowing the surrounding facts and circumstances, uh, a death, like you're talking about. Oh, she froze. To murder. Go ahead, Phil. I'm going to bring her back in, her microphone. Uh, go ahead, well, what I was going to say was that, uh, let's see if she's back. Oh, Judge, you, yeah. you froze up for a second. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Okay, good. I can hear okay, you. Okay, now you you're me? back. Yes, you're, you're back. back. You're back. There's a lot of people yeah, who I know who like to be able to shut me off like that, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Judge, I think what Bill was trying to get at is uh, medical examiners sometimes they'll say homicide and they'll wait for the pending investigation. Like, in, I think he gave the, for instance, the cop with the knee in his back, but I'll use a justified shooting. A guy points a gun at a cop, fires a shot, the cop, he doesn't get hit. The cop fires back, shoots him and killed him. That's a justifiable homicide. That's what I think Bill was trying to get. Am I correct, Bill? That the, just, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, just there is. There, right, but there are, there, things could be ruled a homicide where there was no intent. Go ahead, Judge. No, no, that's okay. I mean, you, I, I know, I know, Bill. You keep going back to the intent, but do you see where you could commit a, a homicide and not intend to kill? Not start off with the intent to kill. Do Absolutely. You, I mean, that, yeah. So, yeah. so, but I think the other aspect what you're saying is where you can kill someone, or where you can cause the death of someone and be exonerated is if you do so under with a justification defense that prevails. Um, but judge, when we come back to this, you, you shoot at them and kill them. You're justified. So though you might right. have caused the death, that's justified, and you would be not guilty of of homicide in that case. But judge, when we bring all of this back to this case, all right, why does he do what he's been doing? He comes home. He doesn't allegedly doesn't tell anyone what happened. Her parents don't know where she is. Ten days later, on September 11th, they report her missing. He disappears. He lawyers up, right? And he was. So, and she was living at that house for two years too, Bill. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's a very important point. She lived there for two years with that family. She did. I and you know that's another thing. Like, why was she living with his family? I mean, there to me. I mean, there are things that I just. It's background information may not be relevant at all, but it's, it's curious to me. I, I think. I think her father and mother, who are both uh, remarried, they're divorced yeah. and remarried. I think the father lives in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. But I know that she's originally from Long Island, but she's living in that house for two years is the point. And you have a, a situation where the family's looking for, I mean, he comes back. What did he tell them? She was living there. Where is she? She's gone. She broke up. Okay. How come when the family's calling her, calling his family that they're not responding? I mean, that's just, it's a bad look. They're making a, a, a bad situation worse for themselves. And they really need to think about that. Joe Murray, thank you for the 999 Super Chat. Joe Murray asked Bill, even though, more than asked, he's educating me. This is first year law school. He's giving me a lesson. Bill, even though a person may have a justification defense, they still make out the elements of intent to cause death and do cause death. It's a crime, but you may have an affirmative defense. Right, Joe? and that's what I was saying before. There's still a, still a homicide, but if you're justified in the shooting, then that might exonerate you. But nevertheless, you still have to have homicide before you could raise the justification defense to that homicide. You know, uh, Judge, what I was also talking about, and we've been talking about, because we've covered this case in many uh, episodes here, is that circumstantial evidence, which is what is piling up and piling up higher and higher and higher, can be very, very strong evidence. Yes. When it And people don't understand that you know, look, there's been district attorneys who have gotten murder convictions without a body. It's all on circumstantial evidence. So him running away and lawyering up, they, they're building that circumstantial case right now. And if he never opens his mouth, they still, of course, have some physical evidence. But the circumstantial evidence can kick him right in the ass and get him convicted. Actually, Bill, that's a very astute observation. A lot of people say, ah, it's just a circumstantial evidence case. But oftentimes, in fact, as judges, we charge the jury that sometimes a circumstantial evidence case can often be stronger than a direct evidence case, an eyewitness. So, for instance, if your only eyewitness is 80 years old and drunk, 
you have direct evidence, but I don't know how much you'd want to believe that. Whereas if you have the footprints, the gun, the, the finger, the, all the circumstantial uh, evidence around it, that can often be stronger, as you've pointed out, uh, Bill, than actual direct evidence. And here you're right that the, the omissions and the behavior of everybody around in this. I find it all very unusual, don't you? I mean, I find everybody's yes. behavior in this case very unusual. I mean, I would think that his mother and father, knowing that he went on a hiking trip on the 14th and never came back, should be say, should be friends in a frenzy. Where's my son? Where's my son? But I they could be on the news pleading for his return, his safe return, and they're not. And, and that's it says something. It's obvious. Judge, real quick, uh, as far as the body not being released by the FBI, I find that unusual. And then the other thing is, I think we kind of cleared it up with all the stuff that you just enlightened us on with regard to, they, they ruled it a homicide. They didn't tell us the cause of death, but now we understand it a lot better based on all the stuff that you, you cited. But with the fact that they're holding the body, I think it's rather unusual. You, you too, Bill, what do you think? I mean, they don't, usually a day or two, the medical examiner does their, their, uh, their autopsy stuff and the body's released. It's, it's over a week now and it's, uh, it's just hard. I mean, both of you would know better than I do in this situation, but it, but usually in those situations where there's such a quick release of the body, isn't it generally a simple, uh, there's a bullet wound or there's stabbing or there's you, you, there's evidence of strangulation and, and, and it hasn't been a body that's been left in the woods and in a rural area with animals and, and other different elements for 23 days. So I, I think that uh, there might be, it might be more difficult and there might be multiple causes, uh, multiple things that happened to this body that might have contributed to the death. So maybe it's a little more difficult to determine what was the actual cause of death. Well, you know, Judge uh, Barbara Butcher, who was on uh, Duty Ron's show and who was the uh, chief um, of staff of the New York City OCME for 24 years, she felt that that was very unusual too, that uh, for them to hold the body. First of all, the body was out in the woods for at least, I, I believe, 23 days. Correct. So the condition of the body must have been extremely decomposed, eaten by animals. Parts were probably missing. Parts were strewn about. I don't be too graphic, but this is homicide, and that's and that's a fact. So th th some of the tests they might do, you know, of course, toxicology. As you, as a judge, you know that could take four to six weeks sometimes. Yeah, I mean, even if they put a rush on this, I could imagine that the toxicology would, would take a while. But let me let me present you with something. What if what if he did something that caused her to appear to be dead to him or cause serious physical injury, whatever? She's not dead at that moment. Then he panics and leaves, and the the ultimate death is caused by something environmental or something uh, from, you know, you'd have to be, it's such a sensitive topic for people who care about her. Uh, but I, I guess you're right, it's a homicide or maybe from an animal. You know, there might be, there might be other things that they're looking at here that might delay the actual um, return of the body and maybe wanting to call it, uh, label what the homicide was, how it was caused. Was it strangulation? Was it a broken uh, bone? Was it uh, suffocation? Was was her breathing stop? I mean, maybe was it in part that she was physically injured uh, by stabbing, and then ultimately she uh, animals came. I, I mean, you, we don't know anything, right? And now we don't know a thing. Could you tell me which one you think it is? You can't because we no, don't no, we can't. And anyone that says they can is just making right. stuff up, you know, because. Yeah. But even in that situation, Judge, he'd still have have culpability for her death. And I would think a story like that would be a lot easier to explain if he would come forward. And like you said, there, there's some homicide charges where you could wind up with a very short sentence or maybe even probation. So, listen, the, the family... I, I don't know what they're thinking. They're not going to be able to live where they live. There's protests outside their house. Um, you know, I think they have a, a, a very good idea, if not an exact location of where he is. Uh, they seem to be in on it if they went on this hiking trip and then two, three of them went, two of them returned. So, and, and he's going to eventually need a support system uh, to survive or, or, or to support himself out there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to show better sooner rather than later, if he was to come forward, if the family 
turns him in or whatever. They arrange a surrender. And then, you know, the wheels of justice will turn and they'll have a, a shot at maybe getting him off or getting him a lighter sentence. And 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 Dog the Bounty Hunter uh, brought up today that in that area where she was killed, that there's a death penalty there. I, I don't know if that's 100% true, but I, I believe it to be. So, I mean, you know, now if, if like you said. Let's not forget this is not a state case. Right, there could right. be a federal. I'm telling you, I'm telling right. you from the New York State Penal Law with the different mens reas and mental states of the different types of, of homicide. But this is, you know, the feds have this because this is a death on federal property. So I, I don't, I don't really know whether or not it, how much they, they overlap just, and I think we should all be aware of that. You know, we can, we can play this out from all of our jurisdictions, which is the state level, but things could be a little bit different and handled a little differently. on the Sure. Federal. Sure. Judge. I, I get that. But I think too, um, you know, in, based on the fact that it's on federal land, obviously they could take it, but there's always the, the opportunity for them to give it back to the state too as absolutely. well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're, Phil, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I saw that, that happen in a couple of cases. Okay. That's why I said that. Yeah, it could just be that it's just on federal, on federal listen, property. The fact that we have the FBI involved, I am all for it because they have deep pockets. They'll get stuff done a lot quicker. They got a great lab. And as far as telephone records, all that electronic stuff, they get it a lot quicker. They have people that are assigned that work just on that. So I'm all for it. I mean, obviously, this might be a small police department in that area. They need the help of the FBI. But at the end of the day, uh, the pro oh, we lost her again. I don't know what happened there. Well, what I do we have about it? <laughs> No, we don't. At the end of the day, what I was going to say was the prosecution, if it goes federal, I'd much rather see it go federally because, you know, uh, federal statutes have much uh, stricter guidelines with sentencing. And when you uh, get sentenced at a federal level, you only get one month off a year for good behavior. So we have a back. No, I don't have a back. The judge, oh. uh, the judge is missing. All right, we got a missing judge. That's a you know, MC's yeah. audio says, uh, thanks for the 499 super chat. What are the chances of securing another indictment in absentia? He's already been charged for the credit card offense. I, I don't I don't see that. I don't see why they would do that. Uh once they have him in custody, you know, they can pursue the indictment on on the murder. The only way I see something like that happen in Bill is if this goes on for an extended period of time, if they put together enough evidence from the, the vehicles, from the crime scene, from the autopsy, telephone, all the different things come together. And if he's still gone somewhere in, in La La Land or wherever the hell he is, uh, then, then I could see maybe that happening. But, uh, you know, they, they're going to, he's going to turn up. I think he'll turn up. He'll either turn up dead or he'll turn up alive. I think he's probably alive. I think he'll turn up sooner rather than later. It's just a matter of time. And again, like I've been saying all tonight, the family has to make a decision. Do they want to go to a, a gravestone to visit their son? Like the Petito family, they're going to have to go to a gravestone to visit their daughter. Or do you want to go to a jail where, you know, he may get out someday? I think that's a real easy decision to be made at this point. And look, I'm not, I'm, I understand protecting your children. I have children of my own. Bill has children. I get it. But then there, there comes a point where, you know, how much can you destroy everybody's life to try and save this kid, you know? And I don't know. For sure. Meglo, thank you for the 1999 Super Chat. Thank you, Judge, for all you do. I hope this is the judge coming back. We got it back. Uh, oh, we got we got the judge back. The judge was uh did, were you going out for some pizza or something? Wanted, what happened? I wanted to see how much you really wanted me. So I kind of <laughs> uh, well, the, the, the people in the chat were missing you, you know, but we missed you too. We're like, oh my God. You know, I just want to well, run. I'm gonna move my location because for some reason my I fully charged it and it just completely went off. So I had to move and reset up. I want to add this. You're a lot clearer there, Judge, too. It was yeah. a little bit cloudy, so you got a great picture. Yeah, it was there, so. cloudy, but yeah. guys, I just want to add. Guys, I want to add this. I want to play this video. This is the video of the um, Kyle and uh, Jen Bethune, who gave the most invaluable information in finding the van uh, belonging to to uh, Gabby Petito, and which resulted in uh, ultimately finding her body. The views were better. Oh, I saw that. Yes. So we were heading back on this long dirt gravel road. 
and we came across a white van that had Florida plates, a small white van. We were going to stop and say hi because we're from Florida too, but the van was completely dark. There was nobody there, so we decided to continue on our way. Yeah, the van looked like it was pretty much uh, kind of abandoned. We figured maybe they were out hiking or they were just chilling inside. There was no doors open. You know, it was just um, just kind of, you know, neat to see a Florida plate, you know, on the other side of the country. It's not something you see all the time. But we wanted to include this in the video just in any way that we can help and get this out there to be able to find Gabby Petito. So if you could share it, if you know anything um please don't hesitate yeah we're as we're coming up on it we're approaching it up here on the left hand side this is most definitely gabby petito's ford transit van it's kind of wild like it's sane a little bit because we drove past we actually weren't able to find any sites and we ended up driving back through saw it again but here it is on the left so and i slowed it down so you can possibly see it a little bit better but kind of freaky for a late Saturday evening, but we just kind of. The reason I keep showing this is because this, you know, if you see something, say something resulted in the police being able to fine tune their search and ultimately find the body of Gabby Petito approximately 250 yards from this van. So that's how Brian Laundry is going to be found. Someone is going to accidentally come upon him and they're going to call the police. They're going to call the FBI and he's going to be found. So I can't say enough about Kyle and Jen Bethune. I think they're great American heroes. They reported this to the police, not to TV shows, not to social media. They reported it to the FBI and to the police. And that resulted in, of course, in finding uh, Gabby's body about 250 yards from the scene. You know, Bill, social media really is what propelled them to go back and look at their uh, footage because they they saw on social media, you know, anybody that was in the area, uh, if you did any pictures or video, please go through it, which they did. And sure enough, they found it. And like you said, uh, you can't give enough applause to those two people. It was fantastic that they uh, they helped speed up the recovery of, uh, of Gabby Petito in a way that, uh, you know, we don't know how long this uh, could have gone on. It, it, it seemed it was kind of a secluded area where the body was found. So, and then like we, you know, we referenced earlier with animals and different things like that. So uh, yeah, hats off to them. Thank you so much for those two people. They were uh, truly uh, good people. And like you said, see something, say something. You know, Phil, you made a good point before. A lot of, much of what's happening here, we're all guessing and surmising, but without without Brian Laundry, without him, we don't really know what happened. And the truth is, if, if somebody like him were to come forward, there are so many different degrees, like we were talking about, from a criminally negligent homicide where you could get probation to, of course, the more serious murder crime that that really, you can't always tell how that happened. Sometimes you need, you need to hear the story to know. You know, did somebody fall and hit their head on a rock? Did somebody pick up the rock and smash them in the head with it? Two different, very different crimes. One, one probation, one, you know, 25 years to life. You know, it, it could vary. So, so we, need, we need answers. The public needs answers. The police need answers, the FBI. And like you said, people need to come forward. People need to sell what they do because the more answers we have, the more the story puzzle will be will come for a full picture and, and we'll know what happened and how it happened. You know, Judge, um, I think I had asked you earlier, but let me just play devil's advocate. I'm John Q, FBI agent, and I come to you and I say, Judge, we'd like a uh, eavesdropping warrant on the laundry mother and father. Uh, we'd, like a, we'd like a search warrant on their cell phones. How, how apt are you to, to uh, agree to that? No, I wouldn't at all. There's just not... First of all, on a state level, Article uh, Article 700 of the penal law is the section that you'd go to if you wanted to look up search warrants. And a search warrant requires probable cause. And because of the nature of the intrusion, it is such an, think about it, such an intrusion on your life to have uh, somebody listening in on your conversations. Um, so for you to get an eavesdropping warrant or a wiretap, really, you really, you need probable cause and you need to follow a lot of very stringent rules to get the court 
to to actually issue this warrant. Now, the sec the uh, penal law in New York, but once again, it's not the same as the federal, gives a list, a huge laundry list of probably every crime in the penal law, just about um, with it with which authorizes the police department, law enforcement, the DA's office to seek um, an eavesdropping warrant. So when you while, while you're talking to me here, I'm thinking about it. What crime, what felony did the can we attribute to the Landry family to say we we think we have probable cause to believe you are committing this crime and so therefore we have enough information to go to a, a judge or a magistrate and get a, an eavesdropping warrant? What have they done? We don't even know what he did. So how do we know what they've done? It's very, you know, unless you guys can fill me in on something, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, I looked at, you know, you know, I we I used to do these when I was both a judge and as prosecutor, and I can't think of one felony offense, one crime that I that this family has committed or is in the process of committing or attempting commit to commit. That's what it would require, either a conspiracy to commit or an attempt to commit. Uh, one of the enumerated felonies in this lit laundry list of, of offenses. Tell me what, guys. Well, I, I let me put this forward. Earlier today when I was uh, watching the news, I, I referenced Dog the Bounty Hunter. He claims that there are eyewitnesses that can positively identify Brian, his mother, and his father going into the park. Now, I think there must be like a parking area. They went, they must have, I don't know if they were in the car when they saw them, but let's just say for argument's sake, we'll use a hypothetical. They can visibly identify them because they saw them face to face and then they saw only two leave. And then we, we may have some phone activity that we're not uh, even putting into the equation. So let's say there is phone activity uh, on cell phones that they're talking to him in that period of time. Bill's talking about eavesdropping on the home uh, regarding, uh, you know, the whereabouts of Brian. You That's mean, what we're talking about. What they do. What did they do? We don't well, what if, what if we could prove we don't what if, he did? We don't have enough to say that he committed the murder. So no, no, but I'm saying what if we could prove after the arrest warrant was issued that they were in correspondence? Right, that's what I'm, I'm – I should have said that. After the arrest warrant is issued and now they think that there's, there's communication going on and – that we're getting this from the comments. A lot of people are saying, "Can they uh, put a, put a, a wiretap on the home?" No, or on, on the state the level, let's look at the state level because that's all I could tell you. Basically, let's right. just say that this unauthorized this uh, unauthorized access device it has to be a felony, and the attempt at the offense in the state level would the would have to be um, or the conspiracy or the has to be a felony as well that they are committing. So what are they doing? I mean, they're not committing. A, a, they're not committing. What are they doing? They're they're harboring a fugitive. They're 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 not harboring him. I mean, it, it really. There's a long list, and I didn't. I personally didn't see. Uh, I don't see where we're going to have enough to get an eavesdropping warrant on their phone, other than to say we think, you know, we we think they have something to do with his not coming back. Uh, I, I, you know, I, it's just, it's such a strict statute. It is so difficult to meet that I, I don't see how at this point we would be able to do that. I, I don't. And I you don't know, judge that. most of the people like uh, these questions are mostly coming from people in the chat because we know that there is a, a very tall standard to get an eavesdropping warrant or to, you know, to dump someone's phone, which is the, sort of the same thing incoming outgoing calls that type of thing and you know the i don't think there's any doubt uh i mean maybe not to the level where we could prove probable cause that the parents did help him get away i don't think there's there's any doubt in that and again circumstantial evidence but i i think that as as i said that's pretty strong his but behavior you would have to you would have to bring to a judge that they had a conspiracy or an attempt to commit one of the felonies that they list and and helping somebody get away um on on a charge like that is not one of them well the, the mere fact that there's a, a federal arrest warrant for his arrest and i mean couldn't they make an application to say we would like to put a 
a tap on their phone cause he may communicate with them and we can then find a location that, that wouldn't fly judge. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. At least this judge but isn't signing it. She's not right? signing it. <laughs> but once again, I am going to tell you that there's this, the, there, uh, the, the rights afforded the defendants are much stricter in the state court than in the federal court. Yes. So for a federal, for federal situation, for federal offenses, crimes, warrants, grand, for instance, a federal grand jury can indict you on hearsay. You can't do that in state court. Right. right. So, uh, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn. So I don't really know what the federal, what the, what the feds can do in that situation. I just know that here, it's just not an easy thing to get. And I didn't see that this is one of those types of situations where you could say that the laundry family is, is, uh, there's sufficient evidence to say that they're committing one of those felonies. Billy, yeah. I'd like you to uh, to read this a little short commercial for Joe Murray. <laughs> Joe Murray, attorney at law. Joe, we have some competition for you here with the judge. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks, uh, hot bench, Judge Patricia Domingo. Hot bench is seen weekdays in national syndication. Check your local listings. Hot Bench with Judge Patricia Domingo. We were so thrilled to have the judge on the show tonight. But they asked me, hey, would we slap a commercial on here for uh, her show? I don't think she needs our, our audience. I think she has a two or three million person audience herself. But, Judge, it's it's great to have you on the show. I'm enjoying this. Uh, I, I'm interested in your views and your opinions. I think that the experience that you both bring to this show, it's invaluable to the public. You come to it with an objective perspective. You know, you're not coming in it like, you know, we're law enforcement and this is how we feel. You're kind of looking at it in a balance. You're more judicial than I've been, I think. You're both, <laughs> you're both really, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable here with you. I don't feel that I'm going to be put in an awkward position. And I think that your questions are really things that, questions that the public wants answers to. You, you're, you're so involved in this. You're so knowledgeable about it, that it, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and, and I'm learning more from you than I actually am from watching any other show. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Judge. That's, Thank that's you really so nice much. to hear. That, that's, that's really a beautiful comment. And the best part about it is I'm not going to get held in contempt. There's no court officers around to throw <laughs> me into the bridge. You're not even near me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe from the United Kingdom. Thank you for the $2 super chat. He, he asked a question. Judge, could the U.S. Marshals play a role here? Of course. On your show? No, in the search for Brian uh, Laundry. Yeah, I don't know why they couldn't. Why, I, I think you know the actually the greatest people in the country uh, uh, the, to search for a wanted perp is the Fugitive Enforcement Division. Uh, they are they are an amazing group. These guys do this for a living. And if you're out there, it's not dog that's going to find them. The Fugitive Enforcement Division are professionals that go after the most dangerous criminals on this earth. And I can't say enough about them. They're they're fantastic. I'm sure they're involved. So usually there's a joint uh, joint uh, with us NYPD FBI joint um, federal task force that uh, is a fugitive enforcement division. Joe Murray, thank you again for more money. Four ninety nine super chat. He says we must defend the Fourth Amendment from over intrusive government intrusion on our privacy. Spoken like a real true lawyer, real Joe. Attorney. And I you know I would support that position. I just said it. I just said that. I would it's not something I think that I would authorize at this time. I don't think I'd sign that eavesdropping warrant. But um you know, Phil, I did want to say something to you, and of course now I forgot what I was gonna say. So I'm gonna to have to either wait or hopefully it'll pop back into my head again. Yes, yeah. There was something I wanted to say. You've been so informative, and Bill and I like to be challenged about what our opinions are or how we think we would go about different things. And you've been really, really right on the board with it. We get a lot of that with Joe Murray. He's on the show a lot of times, but it's really good to get 
the perspective. I mean, you're an experienced jurist. You, you've uh, officiated over many, many cases and trials, I'm sure. And uh, it's really good. And we try to explain to the people that are on the chat or, or subscribers of exactly what's going on. You know, they watch television and God bless TV, but, you know, get a warrant for that phone. Get a warrant for that house. Let's search, yes. with, you know. So, and listen, every case is solved in usually about an hour. Obviously, these things take a lot more time. And Bill and I have been stressing that since we started this, that no one person solves the case from beginning to end. That's rule number one. It's a team effort. Rule number two, things take time. It's not like television. And rule number three is that there's a, there's a system in place. It's called the criminal justice system. It's the best system in the world. And unfortunately, sometimes there's rulings that don't go in your favor and you have to live with it. You have to be able to go around it or find other evidence or go about it in a different manner. And I think Bill and I are quite okay with that. You know, it's the system that we worked with for all the years that we were on almost 50 years in, in uh, experience on the NYPD. And uh, I just feel like when I do get to the point where an arrest is made and I'm going to court, I, I'm so confident about it that when I do get to testify, if I'm challenged on it, I'm usually pretty good with it. And I don't take offense to it. I've had a couple of defense attorneys that, you know, got disrespectful with me and, and, you know, there was objections and all of that. I had a defense attorney on a triple homicide, follow me into the bathroom after a hearing and tried to talk to me. And, and I, you know, I didn't make a big deal, but I just told the district attorney, listen, this guy just followed me in the bathroom, you know, badgering me or whatever. But the point is, is that at the end of the day, uh, there's, the prosecution, there's the defense. And when we're done, a lot of times we could shake hands, go have a beer and, you know, whatever, wherever the chips fall, they fall. And if your case is good and your evidence is good and your testimony is good and your facts are good, you're going to do okay. Well, listen, Duty the run. justice system is the best system we have to uphold the constitutional rights that are afforded to all of us. 100%. Without, you know, as a judge, to me, the best way I can handle a case is if I have a really great DA and a really great defense attorney. Because then I could pretty much sit back because I know that they're going to do what they should be doing. And, you know, I'm not napping, but I can tell you that you feel you form, you form feel more comfortable and more at ease as a judge than when you feel you don't have a prosecutor who knows what he or she is doing or a defense counsel that's, that's a little bit lax and, and not know, doesn't know what uh, exactly what they're doing or is less experienced. So the system works because everybody does the job that they're supposed to do. And as long as, like you were saying, Phil, as long as you're doing it fairly and honestly and, and you're upfront about what you're doing, then, then we know justice is going to happen. Listen, nobody wants Laundry to be convicted if he's not the one that did it. Because 100%. somebody who did this is out there. So it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't behoove anyone. It's not anyone's best interest to see that somebody who is innocent gets convicted. And it certainly isn't in anybody's best interest, except for the accused, to be, you know, found not guilty when, in fact, that's the person who did it. So you need everybody to work together fairly, honestly and upfront, and to do what is and protect the rights that we're all entitled to. I mean, and it's, it's a balance. It really is. Absolutely. Uh, Duty Ron, thank you so much for the $10 Super Chat. And he says, great guest. I'd love to have her as a guest you guys share. <laughs> That's all up to the judge, but I think when the judge the judge actually knows because I told her that you had 1.3 million people watch your episode with Barbara Butcher, and you went from 60,000 subscribers to 95,000. I think the judge will probably be calling you. I won't even have to offer. <laughs> <laughs> He's really a great guy. He's a retired. Thank you for the compliment. I love it. You know, I'll have to talk to them about whether they share or not. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's all up to the judge. You know, I'm not going to. You're your own judge, person. You're, you're You'll be comfortable comfortable on Duty Ron's show. He's a retired NYPD detective as well. He is really a good human being. He's a great individual, and uh, you'll have no problem, uh, you know, uh, navigating through his show. And it'll, I'm sure you'll you'll feel the same way you do on our show. He's a good guy. At least, I, know, at least I had to get on now. It took yeah. what, a half hour for us. Oh my and, god! Here's another plus. He's Italian. He's Italian. You know what I? You know what I want to say about this show. Abundanza, abundanza, and I'm not even Italian. That means a lot of everything, a lot of everything good, right? <laughs> Duty Ron, the guy that asked you to come on his show, he's, yes. a, he's a fellow Italian, so uh, oh, we'll go okay. on with him. Uh, so, we'll talk pasta fazol with him. That's right. Mamachi, <laughs> thank you for the $5 super chat. Thanks, Bill, Phil, and the judge. I love chats with police off the cuff. Very informative. I just have to plug us a little more. If you're not subscribed to police off the cuff, 
Please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. Please become a member of the, our YouTube family. Look, Princess Mitch just joined. If you're in the green font there, you, you joined our family. We have uh, four levels. For $2.99 a month, you're the bucket. For $9.99 a month, you get to polish my rack. For $24.99 a month, you're dipped in butter. And the premier, the highest level for $49.99 a month, you're heated, dipped in butter. So please join us on YouTube. <laughs> We have a sense of humor on the show, we'll, too. We'll I, have to explain those to the judge when we go off the air. Yeah, when we go off the air, I don't know if You're we can do it. I was, there was like a popcorn analogy. There were, I don't know, a lot of different things going on there. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to need an off-the-record an off record conversation on that one. Yes, yes. Gray Screen, thank you so much for the $25 Super Chat. You guys are very generous to us tonight. Thank you so much. Joe Murray, my God, you, you he's Judge Domango. I had the honor of appearing before you in Brooklyn wherein I was representing an alleged burglar and I was put in a very uncomfortable position by his girlfriend and asked for your help. You were wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that. That's And it's nice to hear and it's nice to be told. Thank you. That's great. Joe Murray is a saint. He, I mean, what a, what a guy. In fact, I don't like to have him on the show too often because all the women fall in love with him, you know, and I, and I want the attention myself, you know. So maybe they're was... not going to share with me. I don't know. Maybe they're not going to share with me, Joe. I don't know. <laughs> Everyone say, oh, my God, Joe. They call him, the what do they call him, the silver something? The, the, or the silver fox, I think. The silver fox. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, I don't need that attention taken away from me and going to the silver fox there, you yeah. know. <laughs> he's, he's really got a good personality, Joe, and he's a good man. And I t I'll tell you, from the experiences we've had going back and forth on this show, in this case and other cases, you could see he's a really good defense attorney, He real constitutionalist, as is our guest tonight, Judge Patricia Domango. Thank you. You know, I'm just going to play a short little video. This is the family uh, giving a press conference today. We're just going to watch this yes. for, a, for a second, and then we'll... From the moment Nicole called to report that Gabby was missing. The worst fears of any parent played out before our, our eyes. That nightmare became a reality when the Grand Teton search and rescue team located their beautiful daughter. During that time, they had an outpouring of love and affection and sympathy from not just their family and friends, but from the law enforcement community, the press, and from people around the world. And for that, they thank you. They've been given the time and the space to grieve this awful loss. And we ask that you continue to respect their privacy and give them the space and time to go through this difficult process. Gabby Petito was a beautiful woman. Her infectious smile and love of life made people gravitate to her. Gabby Petito loved life, loved people, and loved experiences. She was the bright light in everyone's life that knew her. Gabby's family does not want that light to dim, and they want to make some good from this awful tragedy. Unbelievable, right? Here's here's a great family that is just in such crisis by losing their their beautiful daughter. Unimaginable, and, unimaginable and, pain. And what and what do they want to do? They want to give back. They want to help other people. So her death isn't in vain, which is just an unbelievably unselfish thing to do. And they want an answer. They're entitled to an answer. They they every day, you know. The, you see how we're doing this, and we're just talking this out. Maybe this. Could you imagine? being in their place and having to think this every day, what happened? How did it happen? It, it, I think it's unbearable. I think it's an unbearable pain. It, I, it's I, something I, that no, no parent should go through. I have three daughters myself. One of my daughters, my oldest daughter is the same age as Gabby. And I, I, I tell my children from when they were small, if you go out and play on the street and you get hit by a car, be careful. God forbid if something happens to you, I will be in a corner rolled up in a ball and I won't be able to function as a human being. So I, I just, I, I can't even imagine how those people are able to, you know, to function anymore. It's just, it's, it's horrible. And there should be justice for Gabby. This guy should be brought to justice. We want to see him, 
either turn himself in or be found and let the wheels of justice turn and let the, uh, you know, let the chips fall wherever they're going to fall. And again, you, you raised some good points tonight, judge. Maybe it was, uh, some other situation. And then, uh, you know, she died on, on some other grounds or, uh, you know, he, he, there was an injury and it just turned into a homicide afterwards. Anything is possible, but we really need for Brian to be found. I, I said this uh, previously, the family is never going to get closure. They're never going to be okay with this. They're just going to be able to move forward. I think that there will be some comfort knowing if he's found and, and arrested and, and brought to justice. However, I don't think there's ever going to be closure for them, but it will give them a little bit of uh, maybe uh, a little bit of feeling of justice. And that's what we got to hope for at this point. And again, I implore the family uh, uh, Brian's family, the laundries, they called them the dirty laundries. I mean, it's terrible that they have to be called such a thing, but uh, they're, they're acting dirty in this whole thing. And they really need to sit down, think about it, talk with their lawyer, uh, arrange a surrender. Y your life is never going to go back to normal. There's people outside their house protesting just about every day. And uh, it, it's not going to be easy for them to go on. It'd be the, the easier path at this point for the laundry family is to have him brought in have him surrender and, you know, he'll have a lawyer, he'll have uh, his day in court. And we, we spoke about the great justice system we have in this country and, and that's what, what they really need to do. And think about Gabby Petito's family, what they're going through. Keep that in your mind. And Phil, you and I talked, touched on this a little bit earlier. The, what are his options? He's either going to die where he is. He either has to turn himself in or he's, they're going to find him. But I, I, I can't imagine that he could go on doing this indefinitely. So there really are only three three ways this can go. And more than likely, um, if, if I were his family, I certainly wouldn't want him to die where he is. So, I mean, like you said, put your trust in the criminal justice system and let justice prevail. Um, because I, I don't see any other, uh, any other options here. The police find him or the FBI, he turns himself in or he can't stay hidden forever. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, you know, Judge, uh, you're absolutely correct, and and maybe at at some point, um, the Laundry family, if they in fact do have access to their son and can get a message to him, the message should be to turn yourself in. You know, he's already invoked counsel. No one's going to violate his his civil rights or his rights of a person under arrest, and that's his best chance is to turn himself in and face the music by the criminal justice system. Absolutely, Bill. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen them once, not once did they offer condolences to the Petito family. Not once did they say, we hope for the safe return of our son. And not once now that he's wanted by the police, by the federal agencies, not once did they say, Brian, if you're in the sound of our voice and you can hear us or you can see us, bring yourself home, turn yourself in. They are going to have the opportunity, if he is incarcerated, to visit their son in jail. The Petitos will have to visit a gravestone and they will never see their daughter breathing again. And that's something that those people should think about. They will, If he's out there for long, if he's in the wilderness, he may succumb to it and they may have the same fate that Gabby has where the family will have to visit him at a gravestone. But at this point they can get him a lawyer. They already have a lawyer in touch with them and uh, they can support him and they will get to visit him. And you know, the way the justice system is, we don't know if he, uh, he may be a free man someday. Think about those things. And uh, you know, this is an international, uh, 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 this case is internationally, popular and people are so interested in it and uh we're getting people in the chat from all over the world and uh we just want justice for gabby and uh condolences for the petito family well said yeah i mean uh folks uh we're just at about a little over an hour we'll probably be uh giving our closing statements in a minute but i promised the um the judge that i would pull up this flyer at least twice during the broadcast <laughs> so so this is uh, the TV show Hot you Bench. Me, that, that's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thing that you're bringing up, uh, Bill. That's well, thank you. But thank I promised. I promised I'd put it up, pull it up at least twice. Uh, Hot Bench Judge Patricia Domingo. Hot, Hot Bench is seen weekdays in national syndication. Check your local listings. Hot Bench is with Judge Patricia Domingo, who we have been 
privilege to have on our show for the past hour. And even though I got scared a few times with the uh, <laughs> with the technical difficulties early on, I was all by myself. Phil wasn't here to help me. I was, I was getting a little crazy. I almost was going to break my rule and have a glass of wine during it while you were working on that. No, I said to him, you're never going to ask me back again. I just <laughs> kept, calling, kept calling California, kept saying, when says, I can't. I don't know what happened. They just said, check out. I did, and now I can't get back in again. I was up. Oh. Uh, listen, I'm glad you made it, Judge. It was such Thank a pleasure you. to have you. And uh, we hope to have you back again sometime soon. And and if you'd like to go on Duty Run Show, that would be great, too. He's uh, he's definitely a friend of ours. He's he's actually like our mentor and showed us the ropes, so to speak, with this stuff. So uh, it'll be a good time. And I'm Judge, looking forward to getting invited back. Yeah, absolutely. And Judge, off the air, I'll give you uh, Duty Run's information. And um, as I end every show with Phil, final thoughts? Final thoughts. I think I said a lot tonight about the uh, Petito family and uh, they, uh, during the press conference today, they had tattoos like uh, just like Gabby had put on their arm, let it be. Um, you could see that they're going through a lot of pain. Um, let's just, let's just bring this guy in and, and move everything forward. Give them a little bit of comfort. Uh, it was so great to have you judge. I hadn't seen you in a while. It was great to see you and be in your company. And uh, you were very, very informative. The chat lit up. Uh, with uh, a, a lot of great, you know, thumbs up for you. So uh, hopefully you'll be coming back sometime soon. And uh, that's about it, Bill. Uh, Thank you, Phil. Well, Judge, welcome. Judge, I'm going to give you the last word because you, you you never give a woman the first word. You always give the woman the last word. <laughs> that's for so, sure. So, Judge, any, any final words? I just am going to keep everyone in my prayers. Thank I think you, that's Bill. I think that's a great thing uh, to, to end this. Is, this is a situation where everyone should be in your prayers. One hundred percent, folks. On behalf of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, I'm Bill Cannon, and I'm my the, my co-host Phil Grimaldi and Judge Patricia Domingo. Good night, everyone, and thank you so much for watching. Good night. Stay, thank you. Stay safe, everyone.